someone has already thought about me in the past and made my present easy. So you know that's when good UX design is when you have this, this appreciation of the ease of something. Welcome to another episode of HVIC Talks, a podcast produced by the University of Toronto's Human Factors Interest Group. After a short break, we're back with the final episode of our series on early career experiences in UX. In this episode, our faculty advisor, Mark Chignall, is joined by Deepa Kaya, a former U of T student and currently a senior lead researcher at Ithaca. Hi, I'm with uh, Deepa Kaya, and uh, she's a former uh, U of T grad student and now working at uh, a JSTOR. Uh, you'll tell us more about that, Deepa. And before that, you were, I think, at Twitch, and maybe before that, at Google. So, yes. uh, yeah, so this is a great opportunity to, to uh, talk to someone who's uh, a few years ago, or, you know, I'm not sure how many Deepa, maybe we won't count, was in the same kind of position as, as, as uh, the class is in uh, 344, and maybe as other students uh, who are listening to this as well. Okay, so um, maybe we'll start off, Deba. Uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself and your academic background, and uh, what's interested you you to sort of what what turned you on to UX and human factors at the beginning, and anything else you'd like to say about yourself. Yeah. Hi. Hi, everyone. Uh, so my name is Deba Kaya. Uh, I have a background. So I was a U of T student, even undergrad. Uh, I have a background in cognitive behavioral psych and cognitive neuroscience, and then I did a bunch of minors, which gave me a really good like breadth of knowledge into things. So that included like Buddhist philosophy. And then I went into industrial engineering by way of human factors engineering, where I got to work with Mark. Um, basically what got me interested in UX was that I was really plugged into my environment. So I had worked in co-op in a couple different hospitals and addiction clinics. And I was just really aware of how people were engaged with their environment. You know, think about like Norman doors, right? And I just, I just couldn't understand why some things were designed badly. And it got me really irritated. And I remember one of the first conversations I ever had with Mark, and he was asking about why I was interested in, you know, human factors and engineering. I had my laptop in front of me and the, the trackpad was like not exactly centered. I'm like, I want to understand why, <laughs> because it doesn't make sense to me. And so kind of just moved from there. Um, but yeah, it was basically just being plugged into my environment, wanting to understand why some of the decisions were made that were made. You mentioned Norman Dawes. So I'm not yeah. sure if everyone knows about Norman Dawes these days. Yes. <laughs> uh, when I was starting, um, and Norman Dawes are basically uh, talking about where a user or a human being has a natural inclination to use something by way of the unconscious design of an object. So for example, the way this is designed suggests that I'm going to clasp it or something like that. And so Norman doors were an example of a, I think it was like a horizontal bar placed on a door, which would naturally indicate like a push action. And so the door would open out, but the door sometimes would be a pull action, which isn't really intuitive when you just look at something and engage or something. And kind of the note there is that a lot of our behavior is unconscious. We're not, you know, choosing, I'm going to pull this door. We look at something, we unconsciously register what it is and we push it. And so there's, there's this effort that is then placed on the individual to really make a relationship with their environment, navigate through it. And sometimes it's taxing and it doesn't need to be. Life is already complicated, why? So that's kind of what got me into it. Oh, thank you. That was a great explanation. Yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, can you tell us a bit about your professional journey and what you've been doing since you graduated from U of T? It was a few years ago, if I remember correctly. <laughs> <laughs> I have been on a journey. Yes. 
Uh, well, I'll kind of start about during my time at, at U of T because there's a lot of opportunities that you can take while in school and I would really encourage that. So during my time in grad school, I, I was uh, working with TELUS Emerging Markets on, Mark, you'll remember this, on the quality of experience. And basically one of the things I was trying to convey was that you know, um, content impacts the perception of quality. So if you're invested in something and you're, you're basically more willing to deal with the technical issues um, versus not being invested in it. Um, so after that, I worked at the DRDC to help develop an app for mitigating PTSD in soldiers. So this was stuff like doing concept testing, uh, usability testing, and uh, being able to utilize a lot of my knowledge in psychology. Then after that, I, I graduated, I was done, I was released. And from there, I worked at TELUS Digital where I set up the first ever UXR lab. And then at TD Bank, where I worked in this like in-house consulting arm that helped all lines of business really adopt new technologies into their general product flows. So for example, like developing their banking app or getting the systems the call centers were using to be aligned and less complex for just complexity sake at the moment. Um, after that, I got a call from Google, which I thought was like totally weird, but I ended up moving down to Mountain View, where I worked for the last half decade-ish. So within Google, I've worked on a bunch of different areas, including ads, measurement, um, and I worked a lot on defining privacy, developing data panels, and really helping get the next stage of Google Analytics to where it is right now. Um, so that's just merging app and web analytics. And from a like even user standpoint, let alone backend standpoint, these are pretty complicated at the time. Um, afterward, I got a little bit bored and started working on a little bit more new projects. So I worked in our startup incubator called Area 120 um, and also was a sprint lead for a variety of projects like finding new funnels for recruitment for underrepresented schools in California. Um, yeah, Google is really fun and, and being there for, again, like almost a half decade, I ended up leaving for an opportunity at Amazon in one of the subsidiaries called Twitch. So at Twitch, I was a senior researcher in the insights team, which was um, basically this like knowledge team that reported directly into the executive suite and supported the crafting of the product development across the company. So I specifically led research on the community trust and safety org, where I worked with uh, the product directors for each of these arms and conducted foundational research for product direction. So like defining harassment, um, what we meant by it and how it would look and how would we spot it, what products would be used to combat and curb it, defining what user identity looked like and how communities developed in small channels and large channels and what the patterns of behavior were so that we could really develop products to facilitate those behaviors. Um, also servicing office hours to support the individual product teams in the org. Like there's one to like, I don't even know how many of the ratios, like a hundred or something. So, but after this, um, I decided to try my hand at working in a space, not just focused on money as the bottom line and switching to not-for-profit work. Um, so I was able to work across multiple sectors, right? So we've got healthcare, we got government, telco, and then, you know, the big guys, Amazon and Google. So I was really curious to understand that what are product decisions like in a place where money is not the bottom line? And so I ended up working and where I am right now, which I'm very happy about it, is at Ithaca, which is um, basically you can think of it as like a academic Google. So this is where academics like Mark, like some of your professors go to in order to source some primary material in order to facilitate some of their work. 
Um, so it's fun. I work on the search team and the senior lead researcher uh, for both front end and back end for search. And I work with our computer architect, our data scientists, our design and PM to really just figure out how does search need to work? You know, like what are those 10 things that pop up on when you first search for something? How do you search for something? What is browse versus searching behavior? What's a thesis led search like? That kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah. I also moonlight as a yoga teacher, uh, but that might be for another day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I'm sure the moonlighting stuff is way more interesting, but probably we can't talk about it here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, great. Um, so, which part of that? Thinking about now about the UX design process, and uh, so which part? Which part is the most interesting for you of the of the process? Yeah. So, I mean, when thinking about UX design, this part can be for UX research, UX design, I'm a UX researcher, so I can speak from that lens the most. But my favorite part is really just articulating the problem. You know, it's the core of everything and it is the most fun because that's when you can actually break apart the assumptions everyone has in the room, which usually, usually like highlights a lot of the hairballs people have been choking on. So the, yeah, I mean like UX, the UXR process is different uh, from the UX design process, but this articulation of the problem happens for any group. So it's definitely my favorite and most interesting. Now, now you have an undergraduate degree in psychology. Do you feel like um, people need that or do they, can they do this kind of a requirements analysis uh, you know, without a formal degree in psychology? I mean, I think it, it's something that I would definitely recommend, not that you have to have an undergraduate degree, but it's really important to be aware of your own assumptions. Um, it, yes, we talk about like focus on the user, focus on the user, but you're building for the user. So what are your assumptions about the user? A lot of the time when blocks happen in product development, be it from the product manager or the executive or the engineer, it's because they have an assumption of what the user wants. And so it's really good to get into a room and articulate all of those assumptions, put them on paper, maybe reorganize it, pick one or two assumptions, build something, go and test it. So that's definitely my favorite part. And uh, I think having a degree in psychology helps you figure out how to articulate the assumptions. Um, it gives you the language, you know, you're, you're aware of cognitive biases, you're aware of communication, but I don't think you necessarily need to have it, just as long as you are being, as long as you are willing to look at your own thinking. Right. Great. And then in terms of the process, how can you tell if someone is doing good UX design? Like, have you ever been like in a team where you had a sense that some people were doing it better than others? <laughs> um, okay. So I laugh because, uh, you know, I've been fortunate to work uh, with the cream of the crop, literally the people who wrote the textbook, the, the founders, the, the best of the best. And so, um, yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Um, I think that good design is, is really seen when you don't have to think about something. So imagine yourself developing some kind of loyalty to an app or a product, and sometimes you're not sure why. Usually it's probably because you feel like someone has thought about your experience enough that you don't have to think about it. And so I think that's a really good indication of good UX design. And that's kind of at an end point. Do you, do you mean about process or do you mean? Well, I also think about the person, right? Uh, you know, can, you know, a designer, how does a designer show that they're good? Obviously, obviously the whole product, sometimes it's hard to identify a single person with a product, right? Because it's a team thing. Yeah. I think that um, exploration is really important. Um, and a lot of good designers will do this. They'll come up with like, you know, the problem was, I don't know, the problem was X and they'll be like, okay, here's a bunch of different ways that I thought about X. 
Um, I think good designers will, will hone in on the problem and create exploration. Um, whereas designers that are still working out, they won't hone in on the problem. They'll just do exploration. So then when you're reviewing their work, you're like, like, there are so many different concepts here and I'm not sure what problem you're trying to solve. It's a little difficult for me to give feedback on. Um, so I think that can kind of be a difference. Again, is about like, what are you focusing on? Okay, I got a I got a question. This came to me. It's probably a dangerous question, but okay. what do you think? Do you think good designers or good UX designers are born, or do you think they can be made? Um, well, if I'm going to say a good UX designer is someone who's able to hone in on the problem, challenge their own thinking, and do explorations, some people have a natural ability to do this better than others. Some right. people just like that maybe because of their world experience, they have done more things whatever it is but i think it can be learned as long as you're willing to understand what's important and what needs to be learned right right so so uh yeah you've been, you've been on a journey uh do, do you <laughs> do you feel like do you feel like you're, you're getting better each time you do a new engagement do you do, do you feel the personal growth uh, is, is happening absolutely yeah definitely i am i am a person who has always tried to cultivate perspective and so I put myself in many different positions to learn how things are seen from different lenses. And that's how I feel every time I move to another engagement. I'm like, okay, I'm moving to this for a purpose. I want to learn X. And right. so I try to do that. Right. Um, right. So I would say, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, you're fortunate that you're able to sort of move so strategically and find the next, the next place, right? It is thoughtful, it, you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, it's good. You have a skill at that, obviously. Um, okay, uh, how do you think when you have a, a product, uh, UX product, um, how do you think the quality of UX should be measured? I, I think I know. I think you actually mentioned it in your previous question. <laughs> so maybe I'll just reflect back what I heard you say and just see if there's anything else there. So you said when, when the person doesn't have to do that, the, 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 the product does the thinking for them, right? They don't have to sit there and think about how to use it or what to do. Someone else has thought it through already. That, that, on reflection, do you think that's the key aspect? And there are, are there any other aspects about you know, what makes a product, good product? I mean, there's a lot. I think that that's kind of the, the end point where, you know, if I'm using something, I don't need to think about it. And anytime I have a question, I don't need to search hard for the answer. You know, someone has already thought about me in the past and made my present easy. So, you know, that's when good UX design is when you have this, this appreciation of the ease of something and the affinity that that creates. I mean, like, for example, there's this app called Lemonade, which is basically just an insurance app, but I will literally never go to another insurance provider because this is so easy. <laughs> so it's not necessarily that that's the only like measure, but, um, you know, I'm, I, I'm thinking about like actually building the product. A lot of times we talk about um, this, you know, the steps to get there will like have certain measures of the behavior and we'll do like a usability test, but, it is, it is really important to also have the, the qual being brought out and then anchoring that a little bit into things that are, are um, kind of like yes, no questions or like have some Likert scale questions that are appropriate to the research question overall and, and some, you know, quantity open-ended questions like, you know, what are some problems, stuff like that. Right, um, right. So there's like an end experience that can be like measured to say like, this is a good UX and then how to get there, like two different things. Yeah, yeah, 
Um, so can you give any examples of experiences you've had or seen where there was a trade-off between user experience and other requirements, including engineering and business requirements? Yeah, I mean, all the time. This is a reality um, to deal with. So, I, I mean, something as simple as alphabetizing content is easier to do because it, navigation through the content is easier. Um, that seems like an obvious, that is a requirement um, and it needs to be done. But from a technical point of view, it takes some work on the back end to retag the content. And there needs to be a more immediate solution in order to deal with the you know, user problem that we saw. So a lot of the time, the, the, when you deal with this kind of a situation, because you will, it's more so you know, what can be done in the intern to just make it a little bit easier for the user. Um, there will always be that trade-off. So it's really important to identify, okay, what's the end goal? But, but more importantly, what's the middle? What's the ramp? What are the little micro changes that can be made little by little to not overwhelm the product team, overwhelm the engineering team, um, and overwhelm anyone else, <laughs> like the business. So, yeah, here's another curly question just occurred to me. This is always dangerous. <laughs> So how, how do you feel about product design, you know, versus versus UX design? And I, I know people who start off in UX design and go into product design, right? And I just wonder if, you know, to what extent, you know, that, that there's a difference and a career path from one to the other. Yeah, I mean, product design, I think, can be mm, aligned more with product management, um, where they're really thinking about the business lens. So they're much more focused on how this can make money, you know, what the, what the right first feature needs to be um, in marketing, uh, as well as a relationship with Eng. And then UX design is really about like, you know, what does the end experience need to be? It's not necessarily just the product and the business. So one is about business more so, and then the other is about design. Yeah. And, and, and how do you feel about your relationship with marketing? I mean, do you, do you, have you had much marketing experience or do you think marketing experience would be helpful for people to you know, position themselves better? Yeah, I think that um, for UX, I think the better relationship is actually content strategy because you are going to be inside of the product and marketing is really about the product outside. It's not about the inside of the product. So it's good, it's really good to have a cohesive message within the product. And if you have that, then you can talk to your marketing team about what is this product actually? Here are some of the things to communicate with our end users. Um, so it's a different kind of relationship, um, but I think it's it's much better to have an awareness of content strategy than marketing overall, because marketing is very large. It's also like true marketing, very quantitative. Um, and, and I don't think that, I think it's difficult to balance that skill set with everything else. Interesting. Okay. So, so you wouldn't recommend people take a stint at marketing. You, you think they should focus, focus on design. I think that it's good to have, but I, I think that practically having more awareness of content strategy would be useful. I think it's like, it's like one of those, you know, marketing is everywhere. So knowing how it works and how it would impact your product is good. But the thing that you're going to do on a daily basis is going to be content strategy. Okay. So uh, how do you see the field of UX uh, growing in the future? Will human factors and UX skills be sufficient or will UX professionals need to learn stuff like AI or data science? 
Yeah, I mean, we touched on it before where like having an understanding of psychology is going to be really important, um, especially like understanding privacy, for example, you know, we're moving into web three, so you can't just get people to do things anymore because you're ex company and there's only one of you, you really have to be a little bit uh, more aware of user choice and options. So I think going back to what you were saying, like an awareness of conversational design and marketing in general is going to be really important. Um, also, I think just having an awareness of, of and uh, you know, some skills around data science is going to be very useful and important too. Um, the likelihood is, however, that you probably have a data scientist in-house or some kind of like engineer in-house. And so what you should really cultivate is thinking in first principles, thinking very well in first principles and doing those assumption testing. So when you are talking to your data science, you know what you're looking for. And you can ask them and you can triangulate with them what in the data set you really need to see. Um, and then you should probably be fine to run your own research. I mean, quant is just quality scale in general. So that's my thought on that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, neat. Um, yeah, is, is there any special advice? I, I, I'm, I'm getting to the end. I, I'm not sure I rushed this too much, uh, Diva, because there's lots of things that I, I'm sure you know about that would be great to find out. Um, but really, we're talking to people who are like um, students, right? <laughs> or people are early career, perhaps, in some cases. Um, but do you have any special advice for people who are starting out about, you know, how to launch their career in UX? How, how, I guess how to make themselves stand out and how, how to get the opportunities like, like the ones that you've had. I mean, I think you've had some great opportunities. You know, how do people get that apart from being lucky? Yeah, um, I, think, I think two things. And yeah, I mean, the field, the field is popping. So, so you're going to have opportunities, they're going to come to you, there, there's going to be plenty. So I think one of the things is be, be, um, be curious, be very purposeful about what you want to learn. This is your career, it's going to be you and you over time. So how do you want to grow? What are the things you want to know? And what will give you that? Um, that's one thing. Um, the other is that just general advice, like at the end of the day, it's just people. You know, we can think of these giant corporations, this and the other, but make sure to connect. It's it's not always about power games or ego. It's not going to win you anything in the end. Make genuine connections with people. It makes working with and building with others easily, easily, easily. <laughs> it makes working with others um, easier. Um, and this is a field that is relatively new. Like a lot of the processes that we are developing, a lot of the ways to make things are evolving. So when you're able to actually connect with someone and communicate, and it makes everything much easier. So just keep that in mind. Um, yeah, and then the other thing I, I, I mentioned kind of in the beginning, which is just be curious about your own thinking. So yes, focus on the user, but what are your assumptions about the user? Why do you think that? How grounded is it? When, when you're stuck, as I mentioned before, it's usually because you had an assumption about something that led you down a garden path. So what was that assumption? Pull back into it. Just maybe look at it from a different angle. Um, yeah, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've experienced uh, articulating research and some executive has said to me, I've never experienced that before. I don't think it's real. Like, this will get you in trouble. Be curious about your own blocks. There's a world of experience outside of you. Cultivate the perspective, seek the perspective. Um, that's my biggest advice. 
Okay, and uh, just sort of another question, uh, again, dangerous. Uh, how do you feel about the US versus Canada, right? I mean, you, you, you work mm -hmm. in Canada and then you worked in the US. Do you feel like you need to go to the US to sort of really, really, uh, you know, boost your career? I mean, and in general, or is it just, it, it, that's what happened to you? That's a really good question. Um, yeah, you know, I think it, it depends on the individual, especially now because so many things are remote. There's the opportunity to get a job almost anywhere um, and get the same kind of experience. So I don't think that you're limited by the borders as much anymore, especially if you're in this field. Like there, everyone wants to hire a UX designer, researcher, or product developer, um, or product manager. So I would say some of the differences are the United States has a little bit more of a risk-taking vibe. <laughs> like people are more willing to try things out without feeling hindered. And that can be a good thing or a bad thing. There's a lot of stupid products. There's a lot of like really bad decisions, but there are, are also a lot more shots being taken. Whereas my experience in Canada has been that things are a little bit more conservative there's a little bit less of a desire to take a risk. Um, and that can that can lead to certain types of product decisions being made. So it really depends on kind of, again, what perspective do you want to be cultivating? Um, yeah, that's what I would say about that. <laughs> Great. I, I, had a, I had another question and it just went flew right out of my head. Um, yeah, so... I, I, I kind of want to get as much of your knowledge as I can, Diva, because uh, you're, you're, you're a great interviewee and you're very, very articulate. Thank um, you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. I've got a question about portfolios. Yep. That was the one I was looking for. So, so obviously, when you're starting out, it's hard to sort of show what you've done. Um, you know, well, have, have you ever been on the other side? Like, have you ever been interviewing people and, and looking at hires and, you know, you know, what do you look for in a hire and um, what, what makes a good portfolio from your point of view? Um, I like to see the upfront work around, you know, how did you think about something? I've said this like a billion times, so I'm sorry, it's going to be annoying. No, no, it's good because it reinforces it. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's really important though. Like, it's not so much about the end product, right? I mean, it's, it's really about like, how did you get there? How do you think? I want to know through your portfolio how you think. So I should be able to leave close your portfolio and be like, this person is a blah, blah, blah type of thinker. This person is a blah, blah, blah type of thinker. Because most, most hiring places, they're hiring for something specific. They're hiring for a very specific product, a very specific role. And so they need something a little bit specific. So the more that you can highlight how you think, the easier it is for them to think, all right, you know what? It's not that they worked on blah, blah, blah project. It's that they think like this. And this type of thinker is what we need. So sometimes if you don't highlight the way you think, people get hyper fixated on the types of projects you've done, which can pigeonhole you. So if you've only ever done healthcare and you're only advertising that you do healthcare, you're stuck in healthcare. But if you advertise that I am, you know, someone who is really focused on identifying the problem and this is how I do it. And I've done it in this type of project area, that type of project area, that type of project area, then it looks like you can do some something in more spaces. Yeah. Great. Okay, well, this is this is wonderful. Any any anything else you you feel like saying? Um, I've I've run out of my questions, but <laughs> the opportunity to say something like I don't know anything. I don't really know what to say. I mean, like I think it's a really exciting time to enter the field. Um, there's a lot more individualization that is going to be popping up, um, and the big companies 
are aware of that and they're trying to capitalize on that. So if you're able to kind of come with your own perspective and not seem as, for lack of a better word, like brainwashed, then good, like be individual. Yes. Yeah, there's so much in the field, especially in research, for example. Um, there's a there's a whole need for more researchers, especially people who have been uh, critically trained, which you will get from engineering, um, which you will get from psychology. So that's really encouraging. Thank you to Deepa for joining us on the podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and stay tuned for new episodes coming soon. 